but her vision of what she wanted it to be was very different from what we had designed it to be. And so eventually it was just sort of like creative differences. I don't think this is going where it should be. This is the end of our relationship. And so we kind of just dropped the producing partner. And because we were so excited about the prospects, we'd be doing all of this on spec. And so we didn't get paid for any of this work that we did. And then we ended up releasing the web series. But by that time, all of our fans had like disappeared and dissipated. And so it was kind of a disaster moment uh, of deflated dreams. It starts with just taking that leap. Man, you have to work hard. You have to be incredibly smart. Choose something that even if it fails, even if it fails you are going to be proud of it. doesn't matter how badly you got beaten down. Be kind, be kind, be kind. Become a better person, a better leader, a better business. Go with your gut. I'm Samuel Donner, and this is Finding Founders. You just heard Michael Tucker talking about how yet another project, a chance at being legitimized in LA's film industry, failed before it even had a chance to lift off the ground. We're going to tell you how he got to this point and past it, eventually creating the popular YouTube channel Lessons from the Screenplay. Garnering more than 5 million views on his most popular release with a whopping 1.4 million subscribers, Michael's channel saw a meteoric rise from its launch in 2016. Yet before he shared his knowledge of film theory and narrative structure with an audience, Michael had to learn his own lessons from the screenplay. From tracking down DVD commentaries of his favorite movies to printing out and studying the shots he was inspired by, Michael turned his childhood curiosity into a serious personal study of filmmaking. So let's rewind a bit and see how this passion started with a simple handheld camera. Yeah, so as a kid, my my dad was always into movies and uh, very frequently had our video recorder uh, VHS. Uh, it wasn't actually VHS. It was an eight millimeter, one of those handy cam cameras. Like a Super 8 kind of deal? Or? Yeah, like Super 8 was the, was the one we had the longest. Um, and he would have that when we would go on family vacations and record things, uh, you know, the various goings on of the vacations and just kind of random things around the house. And he had a lot of old like home movies that he had shot like with my mom when they would go on vacation. Um, but pretty early on as a kid, he showed me how to use it. And so it pretty quickly went from my dad walking around with the camera to me walking around with the camera and hogging it and seeing life through the viewfinder and spending all of our, you know, family vacations filming everything and trying to try out cool camera moves and different uh, framings and, and all this stuff. Uh, what so, do you yeah, think was... he found interesting about it? And how did he pass a little bit of that interest and, uh, and discovery on to you? My dad really just loved movies, like the movie magic that people talk about. I think he experienced that and felt that deeply from when he was a kid. Um, you know, he told me stories about going to the movie theater when he was a child, like with his grandma and watching King Kong and, you know, all these really early movies and from the earliest days, basically him putting on movies and us watching movies together. And my mom also really liked movies and going to the movies. So we would have family movie nights where we'd sit down and watch things. And they would tell me about the first time they saw Star Wars when, 
you know, they were driving around San Francisco in the 70s and saw a bunch of people lined up around the block. And they were like, we have nothing to do. Let's get in line and see what everyone's waiting for. And then they end up going inside a theater and watching Star Wars for the first time and like how big of a deal that was. So I think just movies were a part of their lives and so became a part of my life. And I immediately gravitated toward filmmaking and, and that kind of storytelling. Do you remember ever trying to recreate some of the things that you saw on, on film? Because now you had access to this video camera. Your dad had showed you how to use it. And I feel like the it seems like the natural next step uh, with, like for someone who was so invested and so interested was just like, okay, like how can I make this my own? Absolutely. Um, pretty much from the age I could hold the camera to all the way through high school, really, a lot of my free time was spent recreating movies or doing parodies or doing spoofs. And so when I was really young, like in elementary school, I think it was first or second grade, we had to do a book report on James and the Giant Peach. And I had seen the movie and it was a stop animation movie. And my dad showed me how you could kind of recreate this stop animation effect by using the video camera and pressing record and stop really fast and then move everything a little bit and then do it again. And so that's what I did my book report as was this like five minute stop animation recreation of James and the Giant Peach movie. Uh, I would take my Ninja Turtle toys. They had a, like a Ninja Turtle bus and I would take my dinosaur Jurassic Park toys and I would put the camera so that it was recreating, you know, the famous shot from Jurassic Park. It's through the windshield of the car after the T-Rex breaks out and the T-Rex comes through the windshield and the eye is there. I would recreate that with my toys. In high school, I did a basically a parody of Indiana Jones slash Star Wars. It was a little loose, um, but it was, again, taking famous scenes and trying to figure out a way to shoot something similar in our high school locker room or in the quad or whatever it was. So when you a look lot back of at my... those movies after making them, like what were your thoughts of them? Was it like, Oh my God, this is amazing that I could create this. Or was it like, Oh, this is so far from what I had in my head. Cause I mean, I, I feel like uh, when you're a creator early on, sometimes it can be a balance of like taste versus execution, right? Like how, much can uh like how much of what you want to create do you actually have the skills to create um and uh and, and i'm wondering if you ever felt that like going into high school yeah i think i think what you're describing is kind of the journey of becoming a creator and getting better and getting more experienced as a kid when i was making these things it felt like i was like almost spot on to the original right like i was creating the same kind of emotional experience that I got when I'm watching the actual thing because in your brain your imagination is filling in all these gaps and you know doing so much of the heavy lifting and as I got older uh, you know I think you start to see uh, that additional work has to be done because the audience is not inside of your head and their imagination is not going to do what yours did so how do you actually translate that emotional experience to the screen. Uh, and so I think that's 
yeah, a part of the journey that I think is, is always ongoing, but was definitely a big shift. I remember kind of middle school into high school is me trying to go from, I'm just shooting things that I think are fun and recreating these moments to let me actually study some of these movies and pick up on the craft and do some analysis so that I can more accurately be representing and conveying what I'm going for. So who did you start to study? Like, I mean, I think of uh, like my, in my just like creator journey, like I'm studying like a lot of YouTubers and like picking apart their like, like second by second, what are they doing uh, in each moment? Um, and so I'm wondering like, like were you picking apart your favorite movies, like listening to like DVD commentaries behind the scenes? Like how are you actually constructing uh your your taste and and your ability to actually make that taste a uh, 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 something that you could you could execute. Yeah, so you know I started high school I think in two thousand, uh, and so DVDs and DVD commentaries were a new thing, but was this crazy resource that hadn't existed before, and so a lot of my early learning came from watching. The Matrix or American Beauty with audio commentary or Fight Club. I was really into Moulin Rouge uh, and Baz Luhrmann's like Romeo and Juliet. And so there was kind of kind of any movie I could get my hands on that had a DVD commentary I would watch and listen. But I remember especially American Beauty was a big one for me in terms of cinematography and like the role of a director. And, you know, I would... Uh, borrow from the internet uh, rips of these DVDs so that I could have them on my computer and do a freeze frame. And I would just print out, oh, this shot is cool. And that shot is cool. And that shot is cool. And have them on a piece of paper so I could look at them. And that's kind of how I taught myself the 180 degree rule of filming, where I just naturally when watching, well, this is how they're shooting a conversation. It's interesting how the camera's always on this side of, you know, the shoulder of these two people talking. Um, so yeah, all, all the movies of that era that were out on DVD, I would meticulously go through and try to extract, uh, information from. Mm. And so after like the, like the extraction process, right, there's the actually trying to make it right. Um, so where did you start? Did you start just, you know, putting together feature length films or, or did you, uh, start with scripts, um, uh, how did you start to apply some of this knowledge that you were learning? So really early on, like middle school, it was a lot of, I have these things in my head and I'm just going to grab a camera and grab some friends and we're going to shoot stuff and make it up as we go. And then by early high school, I was embracing the idea that, well, you have to write a script first so that you know what you're going to be shooting. And by the end of high school, um, I decided I wanted to make a feature film. And so that's where a lot of these ideas, um, how they how they were expressed and further like investigated by me was in, in creating and designing a feature film that I wanted to make with friends. How did you come up with that idea? Like, do you remember like where and the thought process of like, okay, I want to create a feature film. Yeah, there was a moment I remember, I think I was in calculus class and not really paying attention. And it was also drawing logos. It was just like drawing weird designs or like catchphrases or, you know, like uh, 
lines that would appear in a trailer because I was really into trailers and so I would be making trailers for these. What were some of the lines? So the the big tagline was four people, two stories, one incredible movie. Uh, And I was like, oh, that's great. I'm going to call this movie 421, uh, which is not a good name and has nothing to do with the plot of what it was. But it, it was... I, I had at that point kind of already been thinking about, I want to do something bigger and better because like ninth grade, I made a 10 minute movie that was pretty cool and, and got friends excited. And so the next year I made a 40 minute movie that got people excited. And so junior year going into senior year, I was like, well, the next step is to make a feature film and why not? Let's do it. And so it was kind of something that was on my mind a lot. I think my junior year of high school and then senior year, it was like, let's just do it. Like, why not? And so it, it felt like the natural evolution from these kind of shorter films that I'd been making that were getting longer and more complex over time. What did it actually look like embarking on that? Yeah, it was it was a very long process, and I learned a lot. And there were there were kind of two phases that I would break it up into. So the the first phase was very much me in high school between class, sometimes during class, after school, sitting down and just writing ideas for the story. And I was really into The Matrix and uh, what else? I had seen like The Godfather and oh, what's that? Uh, the Usual Suspects. So I was really like inspired by like crime assassin movie stuff. Uh, so it was kind of just writing free flowing like this is what the story could be. And sometimes it'd be involving friends of mine and we'd talk about ideas and all this stuff. But over time, we got a script. And then it was basically that summer, uh, I would just, I would make a a schedule. I would just do the things you need to do of like, okay, we're going to pick this day and we're going to shoot this scene because we can get this friend's house and like their parents are out of town. So we'll, we'll shoot that scene then. And then it just kind of kept happening organically. And then I would be like, well, I should make a shot list and I should make storyboards and all this stuff. So phase one was very much just throwing things at the wall and taking a first step and then following the momentum of it as it happened. And when did it come to, I guess, like a a culmination? Like Like when did you feel you actually had something? So the... Short version is we did a first pass and shot a feature film and I edited it all together and it didn't make any sense and it was bad. Uh, But we couldn't really fix any of it because half of my friends had gone away to college. And so I basically spent a year breaking it down and breaking it apart and trying to re-edit things and see like what happens if I take the ending and put it at the beginning and what if I rewrite this? And so it was really in this dissecting what had been done and trying to figure out how to make it better that I learned some of the most important lessons of storytelling and and filmmaking and realizing, oh, there's not really a good structure here. And this is a 20 minute section where nothing happens and it's boring. So maybe something should happen then. So like all these really base fundamental things. So I basically spent a, a year kind of rewriting it. And then the next summer when my friends were back from college, we reshot it. And then uh, kind of halfway through my first year of college, we finished it and premiered it. And it was this 90-minute feature film that was goofy and weird, but 
surprisingly felt like a movie and felt like a really big accomplishment. What was that premiere like? Like, what did it feel like? It was like one of the most exciting evenings of my life. And so somehow we got the big auditorium of our nearby um, like community college. So we like reserved that out. It's like a 200 person thing. We invited everybody, like all of our friends that had been in it, but also all of their parents who had been following the saga because, you know, we're shooting in everybody's houses and people are driving us places and all these things. And so it was like close friends, close friends, parents, and then like all these peers, like people that I'd gone to school with, like a big chunk of our, our like high school class showed up because people had been hearing about us making this movie for you know years, basically at that point. Um, and yeah, I just remember, you know, the lights coming down and I walk out in front of it, you know, at the front of the screen and stage to introduce it along with, you know, the main stars. And yeah, it felt like a movie premiere. It felt like we had like done something like real. But yeah, and then we played it and it was, you know, there were pe like people laughed when they were supposed to laugh and shifted in boredom at certain times. But by the end, you could like feel the energy in the room where everyone was paying attention and like surprisingly invested in the story and then it ends and then you know everyone gives it like a standing ovation because it's parents couldn't they're proud but also just all the stuff and so it yeah it was just a really incredible like wow we made a thing and seeing it with an audience and feeling that energy was amazing that's that's beautiful i mean it's it, it takes a lot of uh takes a lot of courage to to start on an endeavor that big but to actually see it through like i mean there there's so many other skills and that that come into play and uh to do that so young like that that's a huge accomplishment and so how are you thinking about like turning this into an actual career uh as you're you know going through college yeah i wish i had more of a plan while it was happening uh i think it was you know, coming out of high school, like you're saying, I knew I wanted to make movies, so I knew I wanted to go to a film school, um, went to UC Santa Cruz that had this really great film theory program and enough of a production concentration that I could keep making movies and find other filmmakers that I was excited about. During this time, I also had made a friend, Michael Coleman, who uh, was a few years older than me, and he had made some industry contacts through the school that he went to. And so he was uh, a, a bit more connected and starting up this video series called uh, Soundworks Collection, which was a interview series where we would go and interview the sound designers and sound mixers working in the industry uh, and create little video vignettes kind of like behind the scenes videos of, of each movie and the work that they were doing um and so i had kind of i'd been working with him doing random gigs and, and video shoots and as he was starting this project up i was part of the founding of that which is really exciting and so that seemed like a, a potential avenue of like well if i keep working with him then like maybe a cool opportunity will happen uh and meanwhile some of the friends that I'd met in college were planning to move to LA. And I was like, well, yeah, at some point, maybe I'll move to LA. But honestly, coming out of college, I didn't really have a good plan. And I kind of moved back home and spent two years 
not really moving forward in any kind of meaningful way. What did it feel like to graduate and move back home in that moment? It was kind of surreal. Like I've, I've always liked my home and a lot of my friends were still there. So it, it felt, and, and my, I, Santa Cruz was not very far away from where I grew up. So I was already going back and forth to home pretty frequently. So on one hand, it was really fun because it was me in my early 20s with all of my friends that I grew up with and they were getting apartments. And so we were hanging out, not at our parents' places for the first time. And so it was a really fun time. Um, but career-wise, there wasn't a whole lot of forward movement. Like I'd made some films in college and those had, uh, you know, one of them ended up going to uh, the the National Film Festival for Talented Youth, I think it's called. And it so then that was in Seattle. And so we went to that film festival and it premiered and it won like best feature there. And so there are these little, uh, you know, paths that seemed like, well, maybe that happens. And then someone walks up and says, here's a ticket to a movie career. Good, good work. Uh, but that never happened. So, so yeah, that period post-college was a weird time because there wasn't a, a ton of directionality. I felt like I had tried some things, but none of it had really materialized. And so it was a lot of hanging out and trying to figure out what the best next step would be. I guess as you're, as you're going towards the end of those two years, how are you feeling and when do you at what point and why do you feel like you need to make a shift from maybe something that was like more of like a plateau or some stasis? Yeah, I think I think I didn't feel stasis because I was always making something like my friends and I were always coming up with some idea or some short to make. And at some point in there, there was even like, oh, what if we did a feature that was this or a web series that was that? But I think the the problem and the growing that I had to do, and this came from, you know, friends and and new peers that I had met was, you know, I couldn't just make movies for my friends for forever. And I think I emotionally probably could have done that. But to get a career, you do have to make something that other people can watch and appreciate. And so I think if there was a a stasis it was a creative stasis of me just wanting to keep making movies with my friends and slowly accepting it's time to leave the small pond behind and move to LA and try to like really learn learn to swim in the big leagues and figure out how to uh, make a movie that looks and feels professional and that will be taken seriously by strangers and not just you know, friends and family, that kind of thing. Was there a moment where you made that decision? Yeah, it, it was an ongoing conversation in my head for probably a, a year. But a my good friend, Scott Martin, and I went, visited some of his friends in LA for his birthday, I think in September of 2009. And that was kind of the first time I really went to LA and, uh, met his friends, my friends from college had moved down at that time. And so that was like a a really cool long weekend glimpse of what life could be like in LA. And it was going to all these cool places where you're going to Griffith Park and there's the Hollywood sign or going to their, you know, Hollywood apartment and having parties all night, but like watching movies. And then we can go to the Arclight where they're doing the special screening of this movie. And you 
I got a little bit of the taste of like the culture and the energy that comes from being in the town in the place where it happens. And pretty much after that trip, I was like, okay, I need to move down to LA. It took me another year to get there, but September of 2009 was when I think the, the switch got thrown in my brain. So you decide to move to LA. Uh, how are you thinking about living? Because uh, LA is not the cheapest city in the world. Uh, and so what were you looking for in terms of, of jobs to pay rent and eat? Yeah, so I am fortunate to have had a pretty sheltered, easy uh, childhood growing up and, you know, never, you know, pretty squarely middle class. And my parents had enough money to let me run around with a video camera as a kid, even though I might break it. Um, so, yeah, I, I hadn't really ever thought about how you pay for things like that. I had, as I mentioned, been working uh, with my friend Michael Coleman doing some of this like video work and these video shoots. And some of those shoots that we'd been doing even when I was living in NorCal were down in Southern California. So I had a vague sense of, well, I can keep doing that work and I can kind of edit remotely. Uh, and if I find a really cheap apartment, I'll, I'll figure it out. Um, but yeah, honestly, the first couple of years was a, a combination of random editing gigs that would just come from, I know this person that knows this person that needs some weird After Effects animation created for some crazy thing and they'll pay you $100 for it and be like, oh, okay. And if you do enough of that, you get some money. But also my parents were uh, encouraging enough to kind of subsidize my rent for a little bit also and soften that transitional period as I slowly uh, realized what it meant to be an adult. I was wondering if you if you have any thoughts on like getting a job to pay the bills versus getting a job like trying to keep a job and uh pretty pretty close to uh the work that you want yeah there are a lot of pros and cons to having your day job be similar to what your passion is and some of the pros that i found was I would be doing these odd jobs that weren't maybe exactly what I wanted to do, but were using and honing skills that would go toward what I ultimately wanted to do. So I would be doing motion graphics animation for, you know, some Google presentation uh, for a friend of a friend. And it was just animating, you know, like slides moving around. And it wasn't that exciting. But spending time learning how to do that well really paid off later when I was doing lessons from the screenplay and suddenly needed to know how to do motion graphics. Um, the cons that can happen is if you're literally doing your passion as your day job, then often the last thing you want to do at the end of a long work day is keep doing that kind of thing. So if you've been writing all day and using your brain to generate ideas for this day job, then at the end of the day, you might be, you know, you've squeezed all the juice out of that and it's harder to get excited about your own projects. And so I think that's a, uh, a balance that everyone should keep in mind when they're trying to figure out what their day job is going to be. Yeah, I guess like dive a little bit more into the emotional state post doing like b building that because it seems like, I, I don't know, you're, you're just like, you're hustling and you're, you're putting it out and then it's you're met with like roadblock after roadblock 
and I'm like, like, how do you summon the, the, I guess like courage and energy to just go out and do it again? What is the process of building yourself back up to the point where you can start moving forward? I think that was a somewhat darker period where it did feel like the path that we were on was great. We'd put aside other parts of life to focus on this and then it all fell apart. Where are we? And again, like, you know, I'm out of money. I don't have any savings left. What do I do? Yeah, basically what I ended up having to do um, was just do a lot more editing work and, and gig work. And luckily, Alex Cayeros, who is my creative partner, who I've mentioned a couple of times, uh, had a really strong relationship with uh, different documentary companies in L.A. and had edited several documentaries. And so we kind of shifted our production company from we're making these short films to we will edit your documentaries for you because we need money. And we ended up uh, editing a documentary feature together called Bing George Clooney, which was all about all the different uh, voice actors around the world that dub George Clooney's voice in different movies. And so it was it was about film. It was a fun subject and it was cool to work on it together. I imagine because you're working on this documentary and probably doing a, a good job uh, that leads to the esports documentary, right? Essentially, yeah. So we complete that George Clooney documentary and through friends of friends and people we know, uh, we are introduced to a guy who's creating an esports team, a League of Legends team. And he's really excited about it because they're going to do things totally differently and they're going to spend a bunch of money on it and kind of treating it like a tech startup and all the players are going to have like a personal chef that like cooks for them. So they're in top physical shape and they're going to have exercise wow. routines. And it's like, that sounds expensive, a personal chef for every player. Uh, there was a lot of, there was a lot of money behind it, which was exciting obviously for us. And so essentially the, the idea was we want you to follow this team over the next like nine months, record all the big moments, moments of downtime. And we're going to put together either a web series or a feature or something about you know the rise of this esports team and you guys are the ones like in charge of all of it. Was this funded by the esports team? The founder of this team had gone out and like raised all this money and so yeah, so it was all funded by this team the same yeah, they were like that's how much money they had is like we're going to carve out you know a for a documentary just for a documentary. <laughs> And it, there was like, a, it was really exciting. It felt like there was a lot of, uh, you know, enthusiasm around it in the community. Um, and I, I'm a gamer. I love, you know, esports. And so I wasn't as familiar with League of Legends, but I was like, I can get into this. Like, I like gaming. This is cool. And, and it will definitely employ us for a long period of time. So it felt like this was a, a cool next step. Uh, and I was, yeah, excited about where it could potentially go what actually happens as you pursue this path? That was definitely a choice in my mind of like, am I am I saying goodbye to narrative film by doing this? Whether it means I go into documentaries or just simply, you know, I need to make money. And so I'm going to do whatever makes money versus like pursue creative passion. And this was a, okay, I like running a business. I like being a production company and we'll be a production company that does documentaries. Cool. Let's pursue this for a while. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so we commit to it and we're shooting it. Uh, you know, we're traveling to San Francisco where they take the players to go watch, you know, 49ers game. And then we're 
going over to the west side of LA where they have their office in a WeWork and we're shooting in this WeWork and it's really I'm in a WeWork right now. Can you imagine a team of yeah, like five 16-year-olds yelling at each other as they're doing a team sport amongst all of the adults trying to get work done in WeWork. They 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 got kicked out of the WeWork. Is what happened. Um so yeah, so there was like momentum and excitement and it was all building up to the kind of the first playoff game that they were going to do. And so uh and it was really it was pretty exciting to film these these moments because it's you know it's a game it's a sports game and so you're following the score and like getting reaction shots of the players as they're like really excited or really sad and so it was like the big uh first playoff game there's rumors that some very uh rich people that were going to potentially invest in it were watching the results so it was like a very high pressure high stakes thing uh and the team totally uh got crushed in that game and so essentially all the funding plug was pulled by all the investors like immediately like almost overnight where it's like we spent how much money on all this and you guys just lost in this first uh playoff game uh i don't think so i'm pulling all my money and so it went from this is going to be the thing we're working on for the next like year it's going to be exciting it's going to pay all of our bills to Never mind, it's over. The end. How long was the run? Uh, three months? Three or four months, maybe? I think this was, yeah. I think we started in, like, December of 2015, I want to say. And it was, like, March of 20. Were they just actually not good? Did something happen? Like, like, like how did they fail so quickly? I'm, you know, I'm not an expert on League of Legends, playing uh i think there was but you did make the documentary up until that point <laughs> you had the inside scoop there was a lot of pressure and uh i think it wasn't fair to put all that pressure on them and it was definitely a dramatic move to pull all the funding after this one thing um so once again you are <laughs> a project has been pulled out from under your feet what are you feeling so I was very sad at the time. Um, I think there was just um, this sadness was amplified by the fact that I was like about to turn 30. And so, you know, when you're 25 and you have a blowback, it's like, I'm still young. There's still a lot to do. But like turning 30 was looming in my brain. And so it was like, I'm about to turn 30. The main prospect that I had has now been, you know, destroyed and taken away what do i do um and a lot of my friends at that point people that had moved down to la to pursue acting or directing or writing whatever it was were also feeling the 30ness looming and were making some choices of like i'm gonna move back home actually or i'm gonna go back to school to study this thing and so there's kind of a a little bit of a feeling where this is the time of like, do you double down on your dreams or do you make a more perhaps rational decision of like pursuing other careers? Uh, and so while it felt super sad at the time, it ended up being maybe the best thing that's ever happened to me. Because in this downtime, I, so I suddenly had all this free time. I had worked enough now that I'd saved up some money and Facing this kind of choice moment, I was like, well, I really want to get back to, like, the thing I care about, like, narrative filmmaking and 
that kind of creative outlet that I love. So why don't I turn my attention back to where I left off? And so, uh, yeah, looking back at where I left off was this failed pilot and kind of the takeaway being cool, clever ideas, but there are some writing fundamentals that just aren't working yet. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to use this time to focus on improving my screenwriting. Uh, and so that took the form of, I'm going to get a bunch of screenplays and start reading them all. And I'm going to start taking notes. And then as I start taking notes, I'm like, oh, maybe I could do like a blog post series where I'm, you know, collecting all of the lessons that I'm learning and I'll share it as a blog post and kind of break the scripts down and that will make me learn it, but also like be sharing it with people. And so as I start writing the blog post for the first one, I'm like, well, wait a minute. I've been watching a lot of YouTube and there are these video essays. You know, I love every frame of painting and Captain Christian, Nerdwriter. I could do a video essay. So maybe this blog post that I'm writing for Gone Girl could actually be a video essay. And that's kind of where the idea for lessons from the screenplay leapt into my brain. So you have this idea for the blog. You're like, I'm going to turn this into a video. You already have a little bit of uh, experience in YouTube because you've done your, your, your short films and the web series. It is going to be an investment, right? It's not like the first video that you put in isn't necessarily going to be the one that launches you into the stratosphere, right? What are your expectations going into uh, launching this YouTube channel? Part of this moment for me was trying to be really disciplined and adult about my decision-making. And so, as you said, I, have, I had some experience now with YouTube uh, and that was, you know, five years in the past at, at this moment. Um, YouTube had changed. Patreon was a thing. Um, and so I was trying to be really like smart about this. We're like, if I'm going to put time and energy into this thing, I need to see a pathway, like be able to see a pathway to this being like a sustainable, like full-time job. And even if that's crazy, which it is, I need to treat it like that. I had learned especially from uh you know when we we're doing finite films that that year of short films we were also making production diaries so we were doing like behind the scenes things that we were releasing every week of us making those videos uh and that was fun but part of the lesson i had learned from all of that was you don't just make a thing and then release it right away like it'd be good to spend time refining it a little bit was was the takeaway that I had. And so that first video that I was writing on Gone Girl, I wrote, you know, a two minute section of it and then showed the script to some friends and got thoughts and did a rewrite. And then I did that two sec two minute section as a video and showed it to friends and got feedback and did a rewrite. And then did a full version of that video and showed it to people and got feedback and did a, a re-edit of it. <clears throat> wow, that is a lot of effort for one YouTube video. Yeah, but it, it felt like if I was if I was really gonna do this thing, I wanted to like really like go for it and not um, kind of trick myself into thinking uh, my first idea was definitely gonna be the best idea. That was like another kind of disciplinary lesson that I had learned from this past ten years of like, you know, 
I might think I'm great and I have cool ideas, uh, but that can lead me astray pretty quickly. So I want to make sure I'm testing these ideas and it's not enough for me to think they're cool. I want to be generous and create something that is of value to someone else so that they're not just watching videos so that people can watch my videos, but people are watching this because they're getting something out of that. And so this kind of rigorous testing process was helping uh, ensure that, that that was happening and helping my brain kind of wrap around this process of how do I make sure I'm making a video that is useful for someone to watch. Uh, and it was a totally invaluable process and I learned a lot. And by the end, I felt very confident that I'd created something that was hopefully going to be useful for people, felt unique and like something I was excited and passionate about. And that even if this video didn't blow up or if the next 10 videos didn't blow up, if it never blew up, going through this process, I was learning a lot and like relearning fundamentals that I'd forgotten or finally paying attention to like these important story beats that I'd sort of like brushed off and my, you know, uh, ego, I'm a cool director person. I don't need to know about the rules. Um, so it felt like hopefully a win-win scenario where even if it didn't make money, it was still helping me grow as a creator. So you spent all this time making the video. Uh, what was the reception? How did it do? Uh, so I released the first video and it almost immediately showed up on Reddit and took, took off on Reddit. Uh, and I think I had like 8,000 subscribers by the end of the first day, which was more than, you know, Finite Films ever had. Like, that's how small we were. 8,000? What, what did you start at? Uh, zero. Like, in, in one day, I went from a channel that had zero subscribers to, yeah, I believe around 8,000. And within wow. 24 to 48 hours, I think the video had like 200,000 views or something. Like, it, it blew up more than I could have imagined. And it was insane. <laughs> what what are you like what does that what does that feel like uh amazing like just <laughs> so like rewarding i the moment that i was months of actually like putting effort into crafting the video yeah, and you know i'd like researched i i'd made kind of a, a youtube video where i did a visual effects breakdown from 2001 a space odyssey just on like my personal channel and had posted that to reddit and saw that the movie subreddit was really receptive to this kind of analysis of, you know, film. And so I had some sense of like, I think I'm making something that there is an audience for and that they'll like. I didn't know that they were going to like it that much. And my one of my friends who had uh, been helping on the esports documentary, he was also in a band. And so his band was playing like down the street from my apartment uh the night that the video was blowing up and i'd promised that i would go to the show but i just remember like walking down the street and like taking out my phone and like double checking the subscriber numbers and the view count and just this feeling of like true excitement of like oh this this could be something so amazing and i'm so excited and grateful in this moment a lot of people might look at that and be like oh like success overnight right you post one video bam instantly successful but the reason you were able to do that is because of everything that came before um and it was a lot a lot of work and also like the months of of you prepping for this one video um that's super exciting uh so how do you think about uh capitalizing on that 
that growth and that momentum? Like, how are you thinking about setting up a adult 30 year old business uh, <laughs> to make sure that this isn't a flash in the pan? This isn't one video. This is actually a career that can sustain you. Before launching, I had a Patreon set up. I looked at what other creators had as Patreon um, like perks and rewards. Uh, I had actually created my second video before I released the first video um, because I wanted to make sure I could replicate the process and I wanted to, in my head, I was like, I'll always be one video ahead and so I'll always have one banked and then I can create a consistent release schedule. That went out the window super fast. Um, but yeah, it was kind of just trying to see what um, the potential like revenue streams were and making sure I was set up to kind of, you know, escort those who cared toward that and pretty quickly people were like signing up on patreon and i was like that was amazing like the first time someone's like i like what you do so much that i'm gonna like give you money to keep doing it like as a an amazing feeling and also just just like weight of responsibility that comes with that of like oh my god now people are like gonna pay me eight eighty dollars every month to like make something this has to be amazing um so yeah, so it was having that infrastructure in place and then scrambling to try to continue making content that was valuable and that people were liking and listening to feedback. Um, but it was like a kind of excited panic. Were there any other big turning points? I would love to hear like your first brand deal, first YouTube check, like mm. <laughs> like some of these uh, the the these like moments. Um, and, and maybe any other video that you feel was like pivotal uh, over like the next maybe like two years. Video number six, or is it five, or three, four, five, was the Dark Knight video creating the ultimate antagonist. And so the channel had been going well and was like growing slowly and it was like a modest success. And then releasing the Dark Knight video um, just like changed everything because it, it blew up. It went like truly viral. It was the first video of mine to get like a million views and people were writing blog posts about it and sharing it on Twitter. And it was, it was absolutely unreal. Um, but, but felt like a, a confirmation because, you know, the gone girl video was like, I think there's something worth pursuing here. Let's, let's keep going, but we don't know for sure yet. And then the dark night was like, okay, this is really cool. People are excited. It's getting a lot of views. It's uh, created a lot of new Patreon people. There's a path forward here that I can feel somewhat confident in. So that was the the first big turning point in Lessons from Screenplay. And how did that translate to to revenue? Were you starting to be able to live off of this money? Like when when was it? Like when when I, I, I'm wondering the point where like the you know you're doing like less and less editing gigs and just more and more time on the channel and 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 what like is there a certain point where it's like okay like let's just put all of my time here yeah i mean so pretty much as soon as i came up with like i'm gonna do a youtube channel lesson from the screenplay i stopped doing all gig work to just focus on that research and preparation and, and iteration um and then gone girl did well enough that i was like okay i think i need to keep putting all my time into this so that first year like truly was a race against time of like my bank account getting lower and lower in savings and like the Patreon like crawling up just a little bit and, like Patreon plus like the Google AdSense that added together. 
And I think it was, so the channel launched in May or June of 2016. And I think by October, I was making enough from the videos that it was offsetting my rent. And that was like the first like milestone of like, oh my God, I've reached equilibrium doing this. Like, this is cool. <laughs> I am no longer going to be a homeless content creator. Yes. Uh, I will at least be able to live. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, uh, I guess another another moment I would, I'd love to chat about is just like brand deal. Uh, do you remember your first brand deal you did uh, like on the channel and, and how much that was for? Um, yeah. So the first sponsored video was Breaking Bad. Uh, and I think that came in early 2017-ish. And I was super nervous about it because I was like, everyone's going to be like, you sold out and I'm unsubscribing <laughs> and I'm going to burn your house down. Uh, so I was really nervous about it. And I think it just, at that time, basically after the Dark Knight video, I started getting emails from people or different like you know, YouTube groups and like, we'll represent you and check out the sponsor and that thing. And I kind of just ignored them all. But one group reached out and they felt like a real person in a way that some of the others didn't. And so it was a conversation with them. I think I even met up with them in person and they were like, why don't we try this out? And it'll be, I forget what it was, but it was like a couple thousand dollars, I think, which was like huge because, uh, you know, Patreon was like doing well, but this was going to like double or like triple my income potentially. It's, it was enough that it was like, I need to p take this seriously and give it a try. Um, and it ultimately went like pretty well and no one, you know, unsubscribed and it, it was, it wasn't the disaster that I thought it was. Um, but that introduced like a new like pressure to it because sponsors have their own timeline. And now Metrics, this is, yeah. Yeah. And like of success. new, new content that needs to be created, like for the videos on top of the videos themselves. And so that was a, an escalation where it was like, okay, this can, I'm not just at equilibrium, but I'm now able to live a life while making these videos, but it did add a lot of stress to the process. Um, yeah, and so I was with that group for a while, and then uh, around the time that I released my Game of Thrones video, which was July of 2017, is when I um, partnered and started working with a company called Standard, who now represents and is kind of a creative collective of like all these really awesome educational YouTubers uh, that I, I happened to run into them like at VidCon. And it was like, I saw a creator that I liked and I was like, oh my God, I love your stuff. And he was like, I love your stuff. You should come talk to this person. And I was suddenly in this like room with all these creators that I loved. And they were like, we're doing this thing. We're starting this thing. You should be part of it. And I was like, okay. Uh, and that was really cool. Cause that, um, yeah, standard is a whole other conversation, but they're a really cool group and it's like creator founded and, and kind of creator run. And it, created a camaraderie around this kind of stressful part of the process. The next place I'd love to go is the expansion of the uh, lessons from the screenplay universe um, in 2019 when you start beyond the screenplay. Uh, what led up to that moment? Yeah, so uh, within probably two years of doing the channel, um, it was super exciting, but super exhausting. I 
had had a couple of moments of burn burnout where I was just I put so much pressure on myself for each video that if it wasn't the best thing ever I would you know crawl into a ball on the ground and just be like this is awful uh, and so can actually can you can you describe one of those moments more in detail yeah I think there's a lot of things that go into it for me it was um, I tend to be perfectionistic and I really want everything to be as good as possible and I feel like that had kind of been established as part of my brand is like everyone was like oh everything's so polished and the editing is so great um that it was like well I can't slip or let that go down at all so that's like a a personal need to maintain quality um and then it's kind of this constant um you know, you, you have to keep creating and coming up with something new and cool. And so I would release a video and there'd be like eight hours of like relaxation and bliss. And like people are leaving comments and I'm like, oh, this is so great. Like, I love this job. And then by the end of the day, I'd be like, but what's the next video on? Like, what's the next really clever thing I need to like figure out? What movie am I going to choose? Like, I need to go watch a bunch of movies. And so there's there's a lot of pressure and just kind of mental load that is uh not always heavy but is always there so like whatever you're doing you're always thinking but i need to be working on the next video or like how can i make this better how can i make that better because and this is one of you know the pros of working for yourself and doing youtube is that you have total control over your life and you get to decide when you make money basically and when you don't and the downside is that it's entirely up to you to decide when you're making money and when you don't so any moment that you're not working is a conscious choice that you're making to not be moving your brand forward or making money or whatever it is and so striking that work-life balance it just it's surprisingly mentally taxing because you're just always aware that you could be doing more and when it's your video and your creation, you know, the Game of Thrones, <clears throat> the Game of Thrones video was a, a, a moment where I was like, okay, I really want this video out by the time the new season is starting because I need it to coincide with that. But like, I don't think I've identified something good yet, so I need to keep working on it. So how when you're in that state uh, and you know you're not going to you know, get income or pay the rent if you don't publish a video within this time frame, it's hard to be like, I'm not going to work this weekend or like, I'm going to take two days off and just like hang out. Like there's no mental. And also the idea stage is so hard. Cause it's like, you could be working all day and have nothing to show for it or like have very little like creating ideas. It can be like the most and least rewarding part of the process. Cause like, how do you track that you've actually made progress? Um, and I, yeah, that, that can definitely feel defeating. Um, so was was there a moment that you were like closest to just like i need to take a break mid 2017 like i was saying where it's around the game of thrones video i was very exhausted that's kind of you know i, I scroll over all the published videos and i'm looking at the thumbnails and i just kind of have like emotional um highs and lows attached to each image i see and like when i see the game of thrones video into my video on memento into my video on blade runner I just remember I was exhausted, not feeling very happy with those videos and like something needed to change because it wasn't. That was the first time I felt like I'm letting people down because these videos aren't as good as they should be. 
and I don't feel good about it and I need to figure something else out. And uh, yeah, and, and kind of in that period was around the time I was talking to Vince Major, who's he is essentially like the producer on all of this. He kind of came on as like a marketing consultant, but really he was just like a friend acquaintance that saw when I released the Gone Girl video and was like, you should send it to this blog. That'll help get you exposure. And I was like, okay. And he was like, you should do this thing. And I was like, okay. And then we just kind of kept that relationship going until he was like an integral part of making and releasing these videos. Um, So around this time is when we were talking. He was like, maybe expanding the team would be good. Like maybe bringing other people on board to offload some of this mental energy could be a path forward. As a perfectionist, delegation is difficult how did you start delegating was a very much a struggle for me um to even think about how do i find someone that i i would trust to do this um and yeah honestly it it was a it was a struggle and it never really stopped being a struggle it just kind of changed (laughs) uh you know the amplitude of struggle or the different kind of struggle. And so it was just a lot of, it was tapping into this well that I have of like bravery that I try. It's very hard to get to. There's a lot of like defense mechanisms up that I have to go through before I'm like, I'm willing to be vulnerable and take a risk on this thing. Um, But they were the two risks that I, I, I took uh, and it ended up paying off really, really greatly in a lot of different ways. Six months ago is is the last, like, what's new on my other channels. Um, but 11 months ago uh, was the Mass Effect should be the next Game of Thrones. Like, the last, like, official post um, on lessons from the screenplay. Uh, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> um, yeah, several things happened. So, yeah, at that point, it had been like four and a half or five years that I've been doing the channel. And something I did early on was kind of create a, a loose roadmap for myself of like after a year of lessons from the screenplay, I'll start writing a screenplay. And then by year three, I'll have completed that screenplay and I'll be ready to go and direct like a, my first feature. Uh, and years had blown past that goal. And essentially what I realized is that doing a YouTube channel was a full-time job and getting back to this idea of don't make your day job your passion uh spending all day thinking about film analyzing film and writing about film meant that when i got done with my lessons from the screenplay work which as i've talked about was hard to arrive at that stage anyway of deciding that i was done with that work i had no mental energy left to actually go and write a screenplay and so i had been doing all this work and uh, improving my knowledge of screenwriting and structure and all, all these like deficits that I felt I had had years before I was like I feel I feel ready now I feel like I know so much more than that I have this thing and I want to wield it and create something again but I can't do that while I'm full-time doing this YouTube channel um, yeah so that that was the exhausting um, path I was on and arrived at this decision of I'm going to pause the channel like fully completely and just go off 
and Alex and I are going to write a screenplay and that's going to be my full-time job for a while. Is that scary? It was super scary. I, that's why I hadn't done it for, you know, the two years after I said I would was like, you know, it doesn't make sense. And the channel keeps getting bigger. I just hit a million subscribers. That's insane to stop this thing or pause this thing. Uh, I'm bringing on a team and like I'll offload the work to the team and then I'll have some space. But that kind of just changed how I was using my time. And it was much more fun to create it as a team, but it was still a full-time job. And so, yeah, it was a very difficult decision. Um, but uh, it felt like the right time to do it. And if it wasn't, you know, if not, then when? What are you doing now? So where's the screenplay? What what are the projects that you're working on? What does your life look like right now? Uh, yeah. So a year later, uh, Alex and I have essentially completed uh, a, a full draft of the screenplay that we are very excited about. We've gotten feedback on it. People are like very positive uh, and we're sort of getting ready to take that out. That was, you know, kind of one of the other things that happened was as I was doing lessons from the screenplay, these industry people and agents were reaching out to me. And that was something that was new, right? Because before it was when we were doing anamnesis, this one person was like, maybe there's hope here. And then we hung all of our hopes and dreams on this one thing this one person said. So to be in this position where people are coming to you and saying like, what do you have? I'd love to read your script and like all of that. It was really great and then frustrating because it was like, well, I don't have a script because I haven't written one in a long time. And then the other kind of unforeseen thing was, as you mentioned, that last video was called uh, Why Mass Effect Should Be the Next Game of Thrones. Mass Effect is this epic sci-fi saga video game series. It's my favorite video game series of all time. Um, and Alex and I had made this video about how we love it and how it could be adapted to Game of Thrones and how we're just excited for the, the franchise to continue. And uh, yeah, long story short and through a, a series of happenstance, I am now working with BioWare, the company that makes Mass Effect and working with them on the next installment of the Mass Effect franchise, which is very exciting. So looking back at this, this whole saga, your life up until this point, um, what advice do you think you would give someone in maybe like the the position that that you once were maybe uh had like ventured on making some of their their first content and just thinking about creating more um or started working on a couple projects and some of them like fell through like what advice would you give uh to maybe not yourself but someone in in similar in a similar position that wants to create content and and become a creator and a writer like what advice do you would you give to that person when i started lessons from the screenplay that was utilizing a bunch of skills that i'd kind of collected via happenstance over the past 10 years of my life doing the random things that i was doing and so i think as a creator just being aware of that and as we talked about you know designing periods of your life where you're creating something and, and even if no one watches it you've learned something like there's intrinsic value i think that's uh just a really smart way to to think about how to like manage your time and direct yourself um and then i think the other thing you know i look back at when i was turning 30 and right before launching lessons from the screenplay and i think something that 
changed was that I really internalized um, the idea of discipline when being a, a creative person and understanding that being good takes a lot of work and that can feel scary and intimidating but I think the mental shift that happened for me was um, that it that's actually really exciting it means that it's doable you know like your your heroes that are working in the industry and are super talented it's not like they're crazy superhumans genetically engineered to be the only person that could do this thing they've just put in a lot of work to get really good at this thing and so that means you can too and so yeah that mental shift of how do i bring some discipline into my creative process to make sure that it's still fun and rewarding and a creative expression, but that I'm finding ways to constantly test myself and get a little bit better and a little bit better. Um, yeah, that mindset has really served me very well these last few years.